We hurtle into outer space and navigate the ocean floor. Looking in and looking out, life was meant for more. Shapeshifters, shapeshifters with intrepid hosts, Andre and Azariah. Shapeshifters, shapeshifters, diving deeper and flying higher. Shapeshifters, shapeshifters. We're off to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That was a rare treat, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, hello, welcome to Shapeshifters, and today we are thinking about the Wizard of Oz. Mm. Yes. So uh, we often kind of think about stories and narrative structure in in these podcasts. And what made you think about the Wizard of Oz? Uh, Particularly, in, out of all the stories and narratives that yeah, we could choose. Out of all the stories in all the world. I, I love The Wizard of Oz, stories that are enduring, so it always comes up in the, the top few classic films in terms of the film portrayal, which is what we'll be referring to today mainly. Um, I think there's just some enduring qualities about it, and recently my children sat down and watched it, and I watched it with them and thought, you know what? There is so much of interest within this story. Mm. And so I thought, yeah. And I just began to, to analyse it and thought, I really like this story. There's, there's lots in this. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of remember sort of vague, kind of slightly scary elements to the story of The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Um, sort of cackling witches and houses falling on people. Yeah, yeah. And uh, people being dragged up into sort of hurricanes. Yeah. So some quite sort of scary stuff for yeah. what's supposed to be a children's film, is it? Yeah, yeah. No, there's um, yeah, there's quite there's considerable trauma and violence. There's considerable, it? Uh, what's it called? Not just mild peril, I'd no. say, <laughs> but quite severe peril. Yes, absolutely. Um, natural so disasters and natural disasters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, people getting done away yeah. with. Uh huh. In terms of uh, how the story starts, just remind us how the whole thing kind of gets going. Yeah. So. Uh, my memory of the story is you have, um, well, cinematically it's beautiful because it's in black and white. So there's this simple existence in Kansas and white picket fences, uh, a farmyard, and you have some farmhands and you have the, the central protagonist, a girl called Dorothy with her little dog Toto, living with her... Is it her aunt and uncle, I think? Isn't I it? think it's her aunt. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And, um, and so you just have this existence, but she is... She's unhappy. Um, she's trying to be involved in things, but there's something not quite right. There's something missing. She is... Um, you know, not skilled enough to be one of the farmhands, so they get her out of when she tries to help and get involved there. She gets in the way of her aunt, who's trying to get stuff done, and then it all goes wrong for her because um, this local woman who uh, who who's got a, a thing against um, dogs takes Toto, 
and puts him in a bike and starts to ride off to take him away. So there's a sense of, of mm. separation, a sense of disorientation, a sense of disconnection within mm. the place that she's in. And at what point does the film... Because I know it goes from black and white into colour. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, at what point does that sort of shift happen? Between? Well, see, what happens is... So there's the the disconnection, there's the... Uh, so the, 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 the storm that happens um, around losing um, her friend but then Toto manages to get free but as she's going out to find him a cyclone comes here we go and and this begins to build and this natural disaster yeah. uh, begins to, to threaten and her aunt and the farmhands and uncle they they go and find shelter and they're looking out for her and they're mm. calling for her but she's not yet got back. And so you have this journey of her trying to get back to her family, get into this little box where she'll be safe from the cyclone, but in actual fact, it all changes. She doesn't get back there in time. The hatch is pulled down. She's on the outside. She goes into the house, but the house is now vulnerable. It's exposed to the elements, and she gets sucked up. Okay, and I think that's the point where, after being sucked up, she reappears, which will... Perhaps come yeah, on to in a minute. Uh-huh, yeah. where, where she reappears yeah. is in colour. Yeah. Um, and it reminds me of, fil- of a film which I think was called um, Pleasantville. Pleasantville, yes. And uh, it's really interesting that, I mean, they, the, the premise is, is that people are living in uh, black and white in a 1950s kind of perfect mm. idyllic American uh, town. Mm. And then colour starts to be introduced a little bit by little bit into the town by um, the kind of protagonist and what's interesting is that the introduction of colour is experienced a bit like a virus yeah. coming into the picture that disrupts mm. everything and I think what's interesting about this image at the beginning of The Wizard of Oz is yeah. that there is a desperate desire to keep things as they were to get into the shelter and stay with auntie and and to get the dog back and to keep things literally buttoned down and with the bat- the hatches battened but something actually can't be stopped and there's this sense of something elemental almost yeah. in, in fact in terms of this uh, hurricane that comes in or cyclone that literally picks up Dorothy and moves her out of the familiar out of the safety zone and creates a turbulence that I, I wonder if that's required before you can go into colour. And and I think that fits for me from a psychological point of view in terms of the world of therapy, but also the world of drama and storytelling, which is that essentially growth and change requires, or often seems to require, turbulence. That oftentimes people kind of make their biggest shifts towards change when they can't get back to their safety zone when they can't batten down the hatches and when there is nothing to stop the forward propulsion of change that um, moves things out of where they were to where they could be becoming. And that gets us into the next kind of passage of the story. Well, it's interesting. I imagine that can be, for a teenager, the period of adolescence... Uh, it could be when you travel to a new place. It could be when you experience loss or grief. Things just aren't the same anymore. There's a, uh, if someone who you've loved for a number of years dies, 
there's could be a sense of emptiness. There's a, a sense of disorientation. You can't get back um, that beautiful memory, yeah. that wonderful holiday. The the photograph that's on the mantelpiece is of another time, another era, and you're not there anymore. Whereas some people would call that a liminal state, where you've kind of liminal being a kind of borderline or border crossing state, where. You're not where you were, but you're not really where you're going next either. You're caught in the middle, almost like sitting on the fence between your old life and a life yet to be discovered. And that's a really common experience, actually, for people who've been bereaved or have had a sudden... Or gone through an illness, perhaps. Gone through an illness or any kind of loss, essentially. Um, I remember when my uh, father died that I went through that kind of period of time where... I didn't quite feel I fitted in anywhere because you're going around in a bit of a fog and uh, things that are familiar suddenly seem unfamiliar and you're not quite sure how it's going to end up. Uh, and that's the thing about these these stories is that we don't know when we go into a state of flux and change and somewhat chaos how it's going to pan out at the end of it. It's not like we know really what the plan is. We don't know where we're going to land. It's like Dorothy... She doesn't know that she's going to land in the uh, the land of Oz. Um, and neither do we when we go through times of turbulent change. And maybe something we can think about is what is it that sustains us through the transition? Uh, you know, what what is there anything we can hold on to? I think so. I think for me it's something about the vessel. So one of our uh, loves, you know, with the shapeshifters are the two characters, Orbit expansive, future-focused, uh, hopeful, uh, progressive going forward. Ocean, uh, the, the, the depth, uh, reflection on, on past and, and treasures which are buried to be unearthed. Uh, and then that sense of ocean and orbit together help us to come into the present moment. And, and so for me, there's, there's a sense of a vessel. So for orbit... The spacecraft is what... Because Orbit is a yeah. spaceman yeah, uh-huh. or woman. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, an ocean being the deep-sea diver. Yeah. Um, uh, that sense of, of the suit, but maybe within a submarine. And, and so with Dorothy, she's within her house. Uh, and so there's a vessel. So something that helps the turbulence is, right. is having something. So she's there, she's on her bed, she's looking out the window. Right. So there's some distance. So there's, she's insulated from the storm within the storm. Ah, uh, right. I mean, that's such a powerful kind of image. Is that, and people, people use this image, don't they, in, in uh, all sorts of cultures around the world, I think, of crossing over in a vessel. So the vessel could be often a boat or um, a, a raft or a life raft. These, the, the, these images of boat often cr- come up in terms of crossing over the chaos of the deep. Um, and, it, you know, it's going to be different for different people, I guess, the things that we might hold on to and that we might look to for continuity. But when I'm working therapeutically with people, that's one of the questions I often ask is, OK, there's a lot of things that have been lost here, but what are the threads that you can pull through from the past into the future and hold on to as you weave your next steps together? Because the next steps that we take after particularly a catastrophic loss will not be completely divorced from the past. There'll be some kinds of um, experiences or learning or relationships 
or even objects that we might pull with us from the past into the future to sustain us, or belief systems, for, or narratives, for that matter. Yeah. I think one of the things that Dorothy does, she has Toto, her friend. Mm. And, mm. And, and, and there's this lovely sense of... And she, she looks after Toto, and Toto looks after her. And so there's this sense of, of having someone else to focus on through your time of transition, and knowing that there's someone else who cares for you. I think that's very important, as well as being within this vessel. Some form of structure, some form of... It could be a relational structure like a community. It could be um, a physical thing like a place that you go to um, that helps to earth you, whether it's a local park or a beautiful piece of architecture that you go. Just something, mm. something mm. physical, some sort of structure around mm. uh, where you can be grounded, where you can just sit and be who you mm. need to be. It's a kind of balance here, isn't there, between, on one hand, chaos and confusion and disorientation, and on the other hand, things that are familiar and reliable and predictable. And I think that it's so important for people when they're going through the chaos to have something that's predictable. And um, actually, having a pet could uh-huh. be that, that yeah. one thing that sort yeah. of is predictable and still needs to go for a walk every day, yeah. still uh-huh. needs to be fed every day, yeah. and uh, is consistent. That can yeah. be really valuable. But I think if we're thinking in terms of relationships, it's, it's the relationships that are yeah. going to allow for the chaos. And again, this is a, a, an issue for communities as well as a therapeutic concern, is sometimes when people go through turbulent change, others around them don't quite know what to do with it, so they kind of back off, yes. or they get a bit awkward and tongue-tied. And so I think that you know, if we're looking to help people who are going through some kind of turbulent change or a bereavement or something like that, it's really helpful just to just be normal and just be consistent and to keep going with the usual routines and to keep going with the usual little rituals of life, if possible, so that the chaos doesn't kind of swamp through everything. But nevertheless, chaos there is. Yeah. So in some ways, it's giving people sufficient space for them to be able to be alone if they want to, but be close enough that if they do choose to have company, company's there for them. Yeah. <clears throat> Dorothy then, things he say move from black and white to colour, and she arrives in Oz. And for me, there's something really significant about this, in that when she arrives, she's completely unaware that she has, as the house has come down, it's come down upon one of the Wicked Witches. Mm-hmm. Is it the, the West or the East? Which of the West is it? I think it might Not well sure. be. It comes down, and so you just have these um, these stockinged legs and these um, <laughs> curly... Does the witch make a noise, though? <laughs> I don't think so. Can you have this cheer of the... Um, is it the little people? Oompa uh, Loompas. Are they Oompa Loompas, or is that Willy Wonka? Uh, you know, I get those two films <laughs> muddled up. <laughs> it's not the little fusions. That's Gulliver. Um, Munchkins. The Munchkins. Munchkins. <laughs> of course, it's not the. They're completely different things. I mean, a munch. I take a Munchkin yeah. and an Umpalum. It's probably the same actors. Probably is. But <laughs> you're, you're, you're talking about a completely different kettle of fish there. Let's not get that muddled up. No. <laughs> so she arrives and the Munchkins are cheering because this witch, this person who's been tyrannising them, is. Is, is out of there. Dorothy We've has been affected... flattened by a house. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
That's right. And so, and so she has this opportunity. All of a sudden, she's a celebrity. She's gone from being a junior person who had low status in Kansas to all right. of a sudden she's high status right. in this place. And she's not right. quite aware of, of why she, it's happened. It's sort of happened without her consciously intending it to happen. Yeah. But an enemy has been defeated. She has this, what we call an early win. And, and she's celebrated and she's got this opportunity to become the queen of this Munchkin Kingdom. Now, that, I think that's, that is an experience that I certainly had, which is getting an early win, particularly if things have been difficult, can feel like such a great thing that we can essentially think that that's it. We've, we've arrived, yeah. we've, got, we've, we've got food, we've landed, <laughs> we've got out of the storm, we're not in this mess anymore that we were in, maybe for a long time. Um, in my experience, that's something that can happen financially. We could be in you know, debt or we can be struggling with money for a long period of time and then something happens that makes it better, maybe we get a better job or some, some kind of change happens that gets us out of the mess. And it's so, so easy to settle for that as an early win. But it's interesting that you've called it an early win. That implies that it's not the end of the line. No, it's not at all. So, as you say, we've just arrived at this new place and, and that isn't the end destination at all. And in fact, you know, for Dorothy the Ark is, she returns back to Kansas in the end. Mm. Um, but she gets back, by the time she gets there, she's different and she's able to effect change within um, her context as opposed to the context changing and shaping her. She's able, she shapeshifts through this process, then she's able to, to apply that um, to a new place. She arrives, and that's only the beginning of, of, of phase two of her journey. And she has to make this choice because she can stay there and be the queen of the Munchkin people. And, and, and I think there's lots of folks who maybe get celebrity early or uh, the win at the lottery or, you know, something seems to go well for them. Mm. And it's, it feels more like good luck, really. And because there's no intention around it, they still remain disorientated and mm. they can allow the munchkins, these, um, you know, in terms of metaphorically, the munchkins are smaller mm. and, and, and so uh, don't have a, a big expansive vision of, of the world and they're happy with their lot. And so again, Dorothy could become comfortable in this place, but she gets a mission. Glenda arrives, another one of the one of the good witches, right. and and then sets Dorothy up on this mission, but pulls her into this vision of there's another witch that needs to be defeated, and you're the one that's going to do it. And off she goes. And off she goes, yeah. and that's going to be the way in which you get back home because Dorothy's always about there's no place like I want to get back home. Right. So, so like in any good story, the obstacles and the problems that she has to deal with escalate yeah. and get more yeah. um, pro- problematic yeah. and, and severe. Yeah. And, but along the way, she gets some helpers. She does. I mean, what's wonderful is that for Dorothy, as, um, as she now gets this mission, for me, it's a bit like when you get a job. You land the job, uh, you've done well in the interview, people see stuff in you, 
but then you've got to then do the job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever it is, whether you're you know, the CEO of some company or the president of the United States or you're a teacher, you've then got to make it work. You've then got to put your strategy together, get your vision and you'll set your goals and you've got to make this happen. And for Dorothy, initially she goes around in circles. If you watch the film, you'll see that the yellow brick road begins, it starts as a spiral. And so you can think, oh my goodness, what's going on? It can feel like another form of disorientation, but if you stick with it, mm. you then find the way to go. And then as she goes, she picks up these friends along the way. And yeah, she, she forms a team. And collectively, um, all of a sudden she goes from just an individual to this sense of team, this sense of not just self, but, but with others as well. And something powerful happens. Yeah, and I think that that's, again, often the experience uh, of, of people when, when they come out of a time of, of trauma or or, or disorientation or change of any kind really is one of the biggest helps has to be the relationship that we might have with other people uh, partly because I think it puts things in perspective uh, because we have their perspectives to sort of balance us out but also because we learn through observing how other people deal with their obstacles and, of course, in each of the three characters, which is the, the straw man and the tin man and the, the lion, yeah. uh-huh. um, <clears throat> they all have to face their, their nemesis, really, their biggest fears. They have to overcome mm-hmm. their biggest fears. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if, for Dorothy, that helps her to overcome her biggest fear. Mm. I, and I absolutely I think so. And, you know, there's the there's a lovely phrase which people accuse me of being cheesy whenever I say it, but team is together everyone achieves more. Say it with us, listeners. Together, <laughs> everyone achieves more. Well, I'm saying it si- <laughs> silently, but I am saying it. <laughs> <laughs> and there's this, yeah, there's this really lovely sense of, of that community coming together and her um, recognising um, uh, the help that they need and, and her bringing them into this mission and it all of a sudden becoming bigger and becoming possible. But that's not the end of the story again, because she um, goes along, there's a field of poppies, which, which they stop at to, have a, to admire these things, but these things have been bewitched, and they, they, they begin to fall asleep, and then they become vulnerable. And I think we can be on these missions, we can be going forward, and then things can come in which can just distract us, which can act as sleeping agents, and we become dozy, midpoint. Yeah, yeah. So how how does she kind of get? I mean, how does she get back home? And is she the same when Dorothy returns? Yeah, well, not not at all. Because the the the, the witch captures some of these flying monkeys. They overcome the witch together, and then they find the wizard, yes. which has been for them the ultimate, yeah. the external authority who makes it all happen. And then to find out he's not all that. Yeah, he's not all that at all. And they've got to go through this other process of this external authority, recognising that they've had the things that they wanted all along. And they actually had their own magic. That's really, really, really common in a lot of people I talk to, which is that they, they often feel depowered and that the centre of power and maybe the centre of oppression even yeah. is external to them somewhere else, in somebody else. So it could be a parent or it could be a boss at work or... Some or somebody above them, yeah. And I think that one of the biggest sort of points of change and transformation for us is when we 
perhaps realise that the, the centre of power isn't in the hands of some external force or institution or another person, but perhaps we have a lot more power within ourselves than we had realised and that we can exercise that power of thought, how what stories we tell about our lives and then live out, yes. and the power of how we relate to other people. Stephen Covey talks about responsibility, you can break into two words, responsibility. We have the ability to respond to whatever circumstances we face. And initiate change as well. Yes. So we can respond, we can initiate, and we have that power to do that. And I guess that's something... Uh, in terms of the Dorothy story, is that you, you, I can't remember exactly what age she is, but she seems to fit into that sort of person becoming an adolescent or and then an adult, is that sense of empowerment, which isn't in the hands of others, but as an adult or an approaching adulthood, yeah. she becomes more able to access for herself. Yes, absolutely. I mean, for us, um, the shapeshifters, you know, we have a team... There's Andre and myself, a, a key member of our team is, is producer Howard, who is the guy who helps us with all the technical stuff, website stuff, iTunes stuff. You know. Are you saying we, we don't know what we're doing with the technical <laughs> stuff? <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> and, and so that sense of team is so important, that sense of recognising that you know, we, we can ask for what we need, recognise our own strengths and recognise our own limits but collectively there's something incredible because she gets back home and when she goes back home she sees her home with new eyes and, yeah. and she's now, she now has the choice to stay at home empowered or to leave home again also empowered she has the choice to live there she's not trapped there anymore she's free there and maybe that's what empowerment is about is choice yeah. having the choice yeah on that note, we'll leave it for today. We're off to see the wizard. Off you go. See you. Shapes you good. Shapes you good.